With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hardcore Surf History. In the late 1960s, surfing underwent a genuine revolution. Over the course of just a few years, the equipment we used and the way we rode waves changed dramatically. Where once the mark of great surfing was to masterfully lead one's sleek but unwieldy craft with the grace of a matador in straight, elegant lines across the wave, the aim now was to get rid of as much board as possible so you could carve, get down low, break the straight line, and get totally involved with the wave. By 1970, the thought of picking up a 9-foot-plus overweight antique seemed unthinkable, impractical, and just plain uncool. Longboarding was relegated to the history books. Shortboarding was simply surfing. But the fire wasn't completely out. Though shortboards were still dominant, by the end of the decade, small flames were being rekindled. By the time the 80s were in full swing, the lineup was awash with boards both long and short. The culture, however, was polarized, with the long end of the board riding spectrum staked out by the older, the richer, and the less hip. If you were a kid and wanted to be cool, you kept your equipment under head height. But by the early 90s, a new revolution began to rise. One that spoke to many surfers' desire to be more stylish, more experimental, and dare I say it, more soulful. And actually, really, more joyful. The reverberations from that time are still felt today. In 2022, the double takes and stink eyes for carrying anything other than a shortboard are just a memory. The current mantra, to ride anything, has its roots in the return to the log. In London, I'm Jamie Brewer. And I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. This is Hardcore Surf History, where we take a deep dive into surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we explore perhaps one of the most consequential movements in surfing, 
the longboard revolution. From boomers with disposable income and a taste for nostalgia, to the battle of logging versus longboarding, with Joel Tudor's rise of the traditionalist style versus Joey Hawkins and Jeff Kramer's progressive attack, and the enduring impact on lineups around the world. The reemergence of longboarding in the lineups after the shortboard revolution was not a foregone conclusion. It required a mix of the right ingredients and timing. We trace its rise and importance. And of course, Jamie and I try to outsole each other with another round of Stump My Bro, all on hardcore surf history. Well, we have ourselves a show here. And uh it's I'm just a first off, you know, uh I don't I don't know if anybody's been <laughs> you know like hanging out waiting for this, but uh yeah, just to address, you know, we we haven't done one of these in a while, have we? It's been a few months. Um, you know, I think uh partly just scheduling issues uh you know just been a little difficult and we were also uh trying to get uh some guests for this as well and timing of those things kind of kept getting pushed back but uh you know we were just like well fuck it let's just do it and uh we'll get those other interviews uh going shortly anyway so yeah it feels really <laughs> good to be doing this again it's <laughs> yeah. nice to speak to you again tyler mm-hmm. <laughs> i know i know i know Lots happened in that time. Um, definitely, I think it's a timely topic, too, in some ways, because there's been some controversy around uh, the longboarding world tour, and uh, and it's uh, Infant Terrible, Joel Tudor. So <laughs> I think it's really funny. It's almost like uh, <clears throat> the, the, the surf gods have uh, <laughs> blessed us with this, because we already had this idea before it happened. We were yeah. all set to do. We we said, "Hey, you know, let's." This is a really cool thing to talk about. And then this just fell out of the sky like a week later. It's like we felt it coming, <laughs> you know. And and there's uh, some other news too that will be uh, reverberating shortly that we can't really divulge just yet. But uh, you know, but yeah, I think a tasty um, morsel there. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it it is interesting when you think about the longboard revolution and its, its repercussions, uh, on surf culture as a whole is really, uh, fascinating. And I think perhaps one of the most consequential, uh, movements in surfing, you know, because it really, uh, you know, for a while, like if you were riding anything other than what was the traditional shortboard of that time, the seventies, particularly, and even the eighties, um, you know, you were kind of stink eyed, you were looked at and God forbid, if you brought any kind of retro equipment into the lineup, particularly like in the nineties, even it was kind of, kind of, you were looked at funny and, and it was an issue almost like certain surf spots you weren't even allowed. And I don't know about you, but I remember like surfing certain spots and like, if you were on a longboard, like so many shortboards would just constantly complain and be yelling and be like, oh, it's fucking longboarders taking all the ways. Why don't you ride a shortboard, you know, and stop being so lazy and all that, all those arguments. And then became, and then the SUP came and, 
you know, well, we all banded together <laughs> against those. <laughs> I hear you're so right. I mean, I think anyone who started surfing in this century would have a hard time kind of understanding what it was like. I mean, if, yeah. it sounds like, <laughs> uh, I, it sounds like, um, you know, someone saying, you know, like, could you imagine, you know, like <laughs> a time back in the day when we, you know, it was, there's much more segregation and oppression and yeah. <laughs> but and it's funny each and it's you know you were talking about the 90s and it's true but the 90s even the early 90s compared to the 80s was more loose and open-minded and the 80s compared to the 70s was more loose and open-minded Absolutely. so I, I remember starting surfing you know in 80 87 and and being in the water a lot in 86 on a boogie board You'd, you would see older surfers, when I say old, you know, people in their 40s, yeah. let's say 40s and 50s, you know, a bit of gray hair, who had to ride shortboards. You know, they were all people who'd surfed in the 60s and 70s. They were on shortboards, and but you they would, they would surf it differently. So you'd see like an older person kind of standing more upright and surfing their shortboard more gracefully. And maybe it was a a six eight instead of a six two or something. Yeah, but yeah. that's if you went down to the beach, it was just a hundred percent shortboards, and it just felt like, um, yeah, that was just like an old longboards were old fashioned. Exactly. So, one thing I was thinking about is like, what are what were like the 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 key ingredients to the reemergence of modern day longboarding? Like, where where did how did that begin? Because it. You know, and we probably should even go into like what happened to the longboard. Maybe let's start there. Mm. Um, you know, what can we, can we give some context to the listeners? Like, what happened to the longboard in the late '60s? You know, the, the shortboard revolution. Okay, so uh, tell tell me if I'm wrong. Like, I'll yeah. I'll I'll state out a, a few things, and if there's anything, because. Because I feel like if we bring stuff up, I can imagine someone else saying, oh, well, no, actually, this was also happening and, and so forth. So yeah, I, I was having this conversation with somebody other that recently was actually asking me the same <laughs> question. Um, and in my mind, I, th I think that, you know, there there had been shortboards popping up every now and again, you know, like in, I think there's a, a picture of, some really short pointy surfboards in New Zealand in like the mm -hmm. early sixties. And uh, Dale Velzi had his seven eleven model and didn't um Bob Simmons, you know, wrote like wrote rode that really short board that's been resurrected, you know, yeah recently. And, you know, they made short boards for kids and for girls. And there was the Papo board or the Pipo board and all that. But but really it must have been like that were kind of the accepted <laughs> stories. George Greeno was was riding on kneeboards, and he was riding exceptionally well in California. But they just Californians just saw him as a kneeboarder. But then when he went down to Australia, um, people like Bob McTavish and the like they they saw him carving really tight turns, and, and it's kind of surfing like a water skier would, you know, that kind of like sharp direction changes, but carving. And they just said, holy smoke, look at that. Let's do that on a surfboard. And then that led to 
the, the next big things. And, I mean, as far as that part goes, what yeah. do you think? Um, there's there's also the Dick Brewer story, you know, <clears throat> where where he sought off, you know, like he basically, you know, the 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 thought is Dick Brewer also helped invent the shortboard and and uh, McTavish and, and Brewer both at the same time, pretty much, uh, pretty much like kind of came up with the, the, the similar styles of, of shaping a shortboard. And then you had the meeting of the minds in Honolulu Bay. And, uh, oh, okay. Well, I think, right? I think there's still a little bit of ground in between. Yes. Yeah, of course you have, yeah, you have magic so, Sam at the, the world titles and, you know, you know, Nat Young writing that as well. Right. Well, let's say that because yeah. I think a lot of people, well, I don't know, there's probably, maybe anyone who's listening to this knows the story really well already. <laughs> but if you don't, just a quick sum up. So in the, in the kind of m- mid-late 60s, George Green has started going down to Australia a lot and spending more and more time. So he's from Santa Barbara, California, and very progressive interesting guy who invented lots of different things. And so he was riding this kneeboard really radically. He went down there, top surfers of the day, saw him carving it up, started to bring their boards down in, in size. And then um, Nat Young saw this happening. And, you know, so he kind of joined in with them. And George Greeno kind of changed his fin around and made it a more of a, you know, a more radical dolphin shaped fin on Nat's board, made the board a little bit short, a little bit thinner, went to 1966 to California to surf in the world championships. And his board wasn't radically shorter, but it no. was shorter, thinner, lighter. And he won because he was just basically surfing like a high powered carving longboard. That started to have impact. Then when he went back to Australia. Apparently, he took a lot of time off, like a, f- a few months off doing TV shows, going skiing with his girlfriend, who was a hot ski champion. Meanwhile, McTavish and uh, all those guys w- w- started to take their boards down. Nat Young went into the factory, saw this. He's like, what the? F- I need to get on this. I'm Nat Young. So then they all started to bring the boards down even more. And then, yes, they uh, when they filmed Evolution... Uh, not Evolution, Hot Generation, you know, John Witzig's film, Paul Witzig's film. I know yeah. I always mess these guys up. <laughs> I'm sure people don't make that mistake with us, though. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so then, um, anyway, they, you know, they, they're riding shorter and shorter boards. And then, yes, they, they go to Honolulu in 1967, I believe, in, in Hawaii. And Nat and... Um, Maybe McTavish. Spencer and McTavish, they go in and they're surfing Honolulu on a really good day. And, um, and if you watch Hot Generation, it's kind of the last sequence of the film. And Nat Young is just, he's, it still looks to us, it looks like a longboard, but it, it is a lot more radical, the turns he's doing, than they were doing earlier in the film. And then, yeah, they say one day, yeah, back to what you were saying, I think... Dick Brewer at the same time was making the more, I'm sorry for dominating this part of the conversation. No, no, I'm actually enjoying this. I'm really, this is good for the (laughs) listener. You're telling it very well. Don't worry. I I will, I will be finished soon. (laughs) No, this is perfect. So, um, so, so, so Bob McTavish and Nat Young and others were making these boards. And when I say others, I mean, apparently at the same time, Midget Farrelly was shaping shorter boards on his own 
um, Peter Druin was writing shorter boards, but then you also had you know, Russell Hughes and, um, as I said, you know, Ted Spencer. And there was a, a whole host of others who were leaving out here in Australia. But Nat Young, Mac, McTavish were kind of like the, the most famous of these people. But their, their short boards were a bit shorter, but they were wide and they had a very deep V bottom, which if you can imagine looking at the board from the back, it's, you know, that the shape of the world looks like a V. So if you tilt it over, it tilts over side to side a lot quicker. And Bob McTavish actually surfed the, that board at Sunset Beach in maybe the Duke Classic, I think. Um, I think Nat Young had actually given him his spot in the competition for some hmm. reason. I forgot why. And Bob McTavish was surfing really radically. Like he takes off on a wave, comes to the bottom, does this crazy bottom turn and spun out. And I think... um I think Fred Hemmings had even wrote about it later on. He said, ah, oh, he was the spin-out king. <laughs> but someone else, and it may have been Fred Van Dyke, or some, or Ricky Gregg, some kind of classic old person, I forget who, old person, a 30-year-old, saw this and said, hey, hang on a second. No, look, because sometimes his board isn't spinning out and he's carving right back to the top of the wave and he's doing quite radical things. So then they went over to, to Maui and I believe it was one of the first times that Nat Young maybe smoked a joint. I'm not sure. <laughs> Something I read happened about that. Anyway, they're surfing Maui. They're surfing really hot. And Dick Maui Wowie. Maui Wowie. Dick Brewer <laughs> was living over there shaping Lahana, Lahaina uh, surf designs, also known as LSD, <laughs> surfboards. And uh, Reno was over there. Re you know, Reno Abelero was there. Um, Oh God! There was, I oh man, this is really bad. There was um, another really amazing Hawaiian who doesn't get mentioned very often, who is known as, they say he's he was one of the hot surfers of the time, who eventually ended up I think homeless and found in a dumpster. Oh man, can't remember what his name is. If you think of it, let me know. Yeah. He was surfing there. He's in the film Hot Generation as well. Uh, anyway, and maybe Jerry Lopez maybe was over there as well. So, yeah, he was. And then one day, Bob goes over to Dick's um, you know, shaping room, and they just start talking for a long period of time about designs. And Dick Brewer, I think, was shaping the sleeker kind of semi-guns. So I think he was shaping boards that were maybe in the nine-foot range or so. They weren't that short. But they were sleeker. They were more teardropped in shape and in pintail shape, whereas Bob's boards were really wide and a bit unwieldy. So they both kind of shared their ideas. And it was I think it was McTavish who had come up with a shorter idea, but then Dick basically looked at it and said, yeah, I know a way we can kind of make that work even better, perhaps. And then I think the story goes that Jerry was waiting for his board to be made. And... Jerry walks in and Dix has his, you know, big, you know, nine foot board or whatever. And he saws like a foot or two off of it <laughs> onto the ground. And Jerry looks at it like, what the? And I, I think Reno was there with him and Reno had already gotten his board and Reno's like laughing. He was like, <laughs> oh, Dick and all his, you know, crazy ideas. But that board apparently became quite amazing and jerry wrote that he you know took it back to the north shore on oahu and everyone wrote it and was like wow this is a hot board so i th i think that's the story 
Um, that I mean, it's 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 like dipping the the chocolate in the peanut butter right there. It's like that yes. whole incident <laughs> right there. You you got your your V bottom in my pipeliner. You got my pipeliner in your V bottom. Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> Two great tastes. It tastes great together. Um. Yeah. So from there, basically. The shortboard revolution takes off. You also have a lot of counterculture going on in society. Everyone's kind of going against the traditional kind of vibe and going hippie. And so I think the shortboard and the surf culture kind of took on more meaning too as a as a as a you know kind of you know countercultural uh, icon to surfing. You know, and everyone became hippies. And Drew Campion takes over Surfer Magazine and gives John Severson his first joint and all this sort of stuff goes on. And then the seventies is kind of like a dark ages of surfing in some ways where it was only shortboards, localism prevailed, um, you know, and you couldn't really ride anything outside of like a shorter board. And if you had a longboard, it was frowned upon and, you know, and so longboarding was relegated to the history books. And it, like you said in the intro, uh, you know, shortboarding was surfing and that was it. Um, so when did, when, what do you see are the moments or the, the, the flickers of, uh, or sparks that start the fire of longboard revolution? Do you think, Jay? Mm. So I think, yeah, you really, you set the scene there. It was like, yeah, I mean, I, I think, in Surfer Magazine, I think they wrote, you may have read this, that like, it, this was like in the early 1970s, one of the writers said, oh my God, have you tried picking up a board from five years ago? Yeah. It's like, how do you even carry that thing? Yeah. And I can imagine it must have seemed a bit ridiculous. But yeah, the embers that were still kind of smoldering underneath that, you know, the fire seemed put out, but it never truly is, is that one, there were still all these leftover longboards and you could, people were trying to get rid of, you know, you could pick one up. If they said, you know, for like 20 or $30, you know, you could pick up an old log that was in really good condition. And the thing is, you know, when the waves are small, which they quite often are, especially if you live in North America, you know, like yeah. California and especially the East coast, there are a lot of days when it's, the waves are small and mushy and riding a shortboard, especially the types of shortboards that were kind of popular back then were, you know, like Hawaiian style, you know, pintails, you know, cause that, yeah, you know, Lopez, Hackman, Reno and Kanaya Puni, they were the gods and all the images of them in Hawaii and the magazines were them on pintails and big, powerful wave. You know, if you had those kind of waves, there's a lot of days where you're just sitting there and not really riding or, or not going out at a lot of breaks. And I think, you know, they say that there people did have, you know, a lot of people, a few people did have long boards around. They might take it out on those small days. I know Skip Fry apparently never stopped riding longboard completely. Yeah. Uh, Herbie Fletcher, who's probably, you know, one of the most popular or flamboyant uh, champions of resurrecting longboarding, he had been in a really bad car accident. I think in the early 70s or late 60s. So, you know, Herbie Fletcher, was Christian Nathan Fletcher's director. dad, he was a cutting-edge shortboarder in the late 60s. But then he got into this terrible car accident, you know, where he was, I think him and his wife, Dibby, and maybe baby Christian, 
or Krishna's in the Bay, they were driving along Cam Highway in the North Shore and a car was coming the other way and was in the wrong lane and they had to swerve off and maybe his head on. But he, he had ended, ended up getting really bad injuries, which kind of compromised his physical ability for the rest of his life. And riding a shortboard was a, literally a pain in the ass <laughs> or a pain in the neck. Maybe. Yeah. So he started riding longboards again and being like, hey, man, this is actually pretty cool. Don't forget about this. So, And I think even he wrote an article, I think, in 1977 in Surfer titled The Thrill is Back. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he was trying to get that back. And, 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 um, and then... Uh, I think, you know, Bob McTavish apparently never stopped riding longboards. Ben Ipa never stopped. Um, this, it was still going. But then, oh, man, you've asked me a question. I'm giving you a really long one. Uh, I'm not. You can talk about the events yeah. maybe in a sec. But I will say that in the 80s, a lot of people who kind of stopped surfing to get on with their careers and maybe have families and stuff, eventually found that they started to have free time again maybe taking their families to the beach and they're still not that old you know 30s or 40s or so and to them surfing was the 60s you know surfing was the beach boy surfing was fun in the sun you know before vietnam and the hippie movement and everything came along and for them you know maybe picking up a longboard reminded them of what it was like back when they were younger and then also it was a hell of a lot easier to surf and especially if you're only a weekend warrior and then also you know, i'm sure there were a lot of people who were famous in the 60s who fell out of favor who probably wanted a bit of that fame and notoriety back so they kind of stoked it well i i i would i would say there's one big there's a couple ingredients there's a lot of ingredients for this mm. um but i think you're you're on to something here with the boomers and um there's you know, I started in my research for this, I started to think a lot about, you know, boomers and midlife crises. And, <laughs> <laughs> you oh, know, how, how was that journey for you? <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, it was interesting, like, and, and even Matt, Matt Warshaw says in the Encyclopedia Surfing, he talks about, you know, boomers and how they never stopped reliving nostalgia since American Graffiti came out in 73, you know, George mm. Lucas's film. Right. And then you have Big Wednesday, which is also just a surfing version of American graffiti in some ways, you know, um, you know. And so I, I found this really interesting tidbit. I, I kind of want to read this. It's like the boomers grew up in a world that was stable and increasingly affluent. Their childhood experiences were essentially idyllic, encapsulated in their nostalgic recollection of the good old days. And boomers entered adulthood having experienced little disruption and moved into a world of work that allowed them to aim for, live, and achieve their dreams. Sprawling suburbs filled with nice houses, manicured gardens, shiny cars, and boomers off at the office, uh, enjoying working hard to make it all happen. And then they hit their 40s and midlife. And they had achieved what they wanted to, to career-wise or realized that they were doomed to never achieve their goals. And they looked to looked at their kids and didn't know them because they had worked too hard to spend time uh, con connecting with their. So they they started to work hard to connect with their kids, and critically, they also looked at their partner and questioned whether this was the person they wanted to spend the rest of their life with. And this triggered the midlife crisis, and they all started to really wonder. I think about 
what it was, you know, that brought them joy. And then I, uh, I started watching The Legends of Malibu last night. Mm. Uh, remember that movie? Uh, Ira Opper uh, made it. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a classic movie. It's on the Surf Network. I highly recommend listeners uh, get a membership to the Surf Network. It's awesome. There's such a wonderful deep dive of videos. But they quote John Paul, J. Paul Getty. And he was interviewed once and was asked, you are the world's richest man. Have you ever known happiness? And he said, oh, God, no. I've had a lot of satisfactions in my life, but I've never had happiness. The interviewer asked, well, hasn't the money given you happiness? No. The money, nor the family, nor my sons or women I've been involved with. The only happiness I knew was when I was a boy surfing Malibu. And I thought that quote really summed up the whole boomer kind of nostalgia. And, you know, you could achieve all these things, but when were you really ever happy? And the happiness came from surfing. And so I think that brought on a lot of that. And then also 80s just had a lot of nostalgia. Boomers had all this crazy nostalgia for, for the 60s in an older time. You, you also had Endless Summer come out on VHS which was really important, I think. It was one of the biggest uh, surf video releases of all time, actually. Um, and then you also had, like, The New Adventures of Gidget on, on TV, and you had Back to the Beach. You had I all this shit. I was say, like, maybe Back to the Beach is the, uh, the real <laughs> one, you know? Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, did I ever leave Ohio? <laughs> you know? Is that one Frankie of the Avalon. Frankie Avalon says when he's hung over one night, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but uh, all of that sort of stuff was going on in the 80s, I think. And, oh, and um, uh, TB, WTBS, you know, Turner Broadcasting Network, when they were showing reruns of Leave it to Beaver. Exactly. And, uh, monkeys and stuff like that. Monkeys. I, I have to say, I mean, can being a baby boomer, like, like you said, growing up in the 50s and early mid-60s was, especially if you were, uh, you know, white middle class, you know, you got to yeah. say that, you know, of course, who were most of the surfers, I suppose, as well. Yeah. Um, like it must have been such a, a, a pleasant and fun lifestyle. I mean, we've all seen the movies and the films from that era. And then the late 60s and 70s must have. It's turbulent. Sucked balls like Vietnam sucked, you know, and so many, you know, that was just such a dark thing. But then also. You know, economic crash, you know, the 70s, um, drug abuse, um, the whole like it, it was just, a dark time. It, was, it felt oh, feels like. man, you disco, know, then, disco, come on. Oh, oh, no, I'm joking. Disco. See, I am joking. Now, that's a whole other. I think we could do a whole other thing. <laughs> disco was the rise of the non white middle class we had you yeah know, people of color people true, of different true, sexual true, orientation yeah that's true. A, of course and, that's a whole other thing and and larry Bertelman, you know like <laughs> yes that's uh but <laughs> but um but yeah i think you're right i know like they're just oh it must have been awful but then you're right once you had money and the time back you know in, in the mid 80s you know you could just like let's get back to that let's get Jamie. back to the beach Back to the Future, also. Back to the Future, yes, that was a movie that showed that. You know, that was that was like 1985. 
that movie, you know, really captured a zeitgeist and and really go back to, you know, go going back into history and all that sort of stuff. It, it all it, it's interesting, the societal, you know, like I think you could look at this and be like, well, you know, they had this event and this thing that happened in surfing. But you have to look at what was going on in society as a whole to bring to to understand that longboarding came back because of all these other things that were going on. You also mm-hmm. had boomers had disposable income. They had a lot of money. They had, you know, wealth. They could they had free time. They could spend it on surfboards. They could go to the beach. It's a nice thing to do to bring your kids to the beach too, you know. It's also a family activity and surfing started to become a family oriented activity throughout uh, the 80s, I would argue. Uh, you know, it was the older generation taking their kids to the beach and surfing. So you had both of that. And I imagine even like a lot of parents were like watching their kids learn to surf and being like, I used to surf. I'm going to do that. That's what Rich, our stepfather did, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it, it was exactly that. He saw us surfing. He's like, I used to surf. I'm going to get get a surfboard, you know. <laughs> and do you remember the first surfboard he got? Because this was, you know. The Ron John. It was a shortboard, basically. A yeah. chunky shortboard. It was a while before, like, the logic of longboarding yeah. uh, came back. But so this, you're, you know, so you're, this, you're uh, talking about this rise of this, you know, longboarding, middle-aged, nostalgic culture. And, and you know, I know you were you know, telling me earlier about the, the Dewey Weber events and yes. all the different longboard contests and longboard clubs and events and festivals, the longboard magazines and everything. Yes. But that was only one part of surfing culture. Yeah. And back to what you were saying before, like at the same time, that that was the older people the richer people the less hip people yeah at the same time you had the, all the short borders and the, the young people and the youth culture going on side by side and people talk about the culture wars now but they did not live through surfing in the 80s man yeah. you, know? <laughs> you did not live through the surf in the 80s i mean it was perfectly set up in gidget in the the, the new adventures of gidget the tv made for tv movie where you had, uh, you know, the big kahuna challenging one of the young rippers on the shortboard. I mean, come on. The shootout, exactly. (laughs) You know, that was... that you was but a link to that in uh in Instagram, I think. You can find it. It's really encapsulates it really good. It, well. That and and also back to the beach, the finale also is a very similar thing. It's the older generation showing the younger generation, ah, oh, you still got it, type of thing, you know? Uh the younger guy on a shortboard. It was all you know, very, very interesting how that narrative plays out, I think. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely you know, uh, it's it it says something about boomers and their command of media and narrative of culture in some ways. You know, <laughs> yeah. But but so this 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 culture was like longboarding. We in the eighties now. We're at longboarding is back. It's big, but it's it's not cool, and it's um. And, and like you said, you know, like what it was like to do longboarding back then, you know, like, cause I, I think I remember once taking a longboard out and someone else at the beach seen me and they're like, oh, Jamie, you know, like, 
I think this is, you know, was a little bit older actually. And they said, you know, like, you need to get rid of that. Get on a fun board, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, man, you know, like <laughs> such an insult. Like riding a longboard, you know, it was, was cool in some circles of young people, but it had not, it, it you know, I think, um, and, you know, and, and riding more like equipment, like, like a, like a fun board or um what came later in the 80 in the 90s you know like the hybrid boards or like yeah to stub vector or my rocket sled you know like yeah th- those were boards that made a lot of sense but they were just not sexy cool. they were not i think maybe steve barlotti or someone wrote you know it's a one of those kind of boards had all the sex appeal of a, a VW Beetle, you know, yeah. it's cool. It makes sense, but it just, <laughs> so longboarding still not for use. You're still not, if you were in your forties, fifties and you had a longboard, that's fine, you know, but if you yeah. were a teenager or early twenties and you were riding a longboard, you, you still were self-conscious. I, I think, so I want to, I want to just, make a couple pings on on the timeline here uh mm-hmm. there was the again like you mentioned and I, uh and we talked about earlier ninth you know in, in matt warshaw kind of really in the eos uh in or in the history of surfing ping pings a lot of it to the dewey weber invitational in 1981 mm-hmm. where it was like a reunion event that went on at manhattan beach pier and all the old timers came out everyone from corky carroll to lj richards and mark martinson dale dobson and Dewey Weber himself, you know, we're all there. Even Greg Knoll was there, you know. And so that that kind of like helped, you know, ignite that spark, I think. But we have to mention, you know, um, you know, Nat Young starting up the World Longboard Tour on the ASP in 1986 and also uh, dominating it, by the way. He made the criteria for the judges and <laughs> was running it but also w- competed in it and won it in 86, 88, 89, and 90. He got second in 87 and fourth in 91. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was hilarious. But that, I think... I, I think, just to interrupt you, yeah. yeah, I think it was Drew Campion who said, you know, one could make the argument that Nat Young was a one-man conspiracy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um. But I think you 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 need to take that into account. Uh, and one other thing I think is really important to to, to think about is the thruster introduced to the longboard shape. Wait, say that I, one more time. The thruster being introduced oh. to the longboard shape that is a really monumental shift in how people rode longboards. And then of course the two plus one. Uh, you know, design of, you know, the two smaller side bite fins in the longer middle, that stuff changed how you could turn a board. And it, it kind of started to create a fragmentation in longboard culture in general. And this brings us to a, a key point in surf history. Nat Young meets Joel Tudor and begins to mentor him. Oh yeah. So hold off. Keep Yo. mark that right there. Right You're there. Right. There's that marker. And I want to go back marker. to what you just said and just expand it a little bit on that. Yes. Um, yes. The, the, so the modern longboard, which predated the two people you just started talking about. Yes. So <laughs> the modern longboard. I remember it being written about. It, the modern longboard was long. 
yeah. but it had the fin setup you just described, which was borrowed from the shortboards. It had the rail designs of the shortboard s- taken from the shortboards. You know, the tucked under edge and rocker. We- and rocker and lightness and thinness. Like if you picked up a traditional longboard from the sixties, even if it was reshaped, and then you picked up uh, a um like a, 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 Bill, a Stewart. Bill Stewart, yes, a Bill Stewart a hydro hull, high performance longboard. They were two completely different animals. If you put them, if you just looked at their plan shape and laid them up against the wall, you might not notice a difference. But as soon as you tilted it over on the side and held it, it felt so different. And you could take all those long boards and, you know, looking at like a Jonathan and Israel Paskowitz, let's say, yeah. watch those guys. But even yourself, you know, if you got on a long board, you could catch the wave really easily. But then you could start whipping it around. You could start carving and surfing it like a like a little bit of a, a, a heavy or short board. You could do off the lips, turns, floaters. The people I just mentioned were, were getting into the air occasionally, but then you could trim up to the nose. And if you talk to shapers back then, pundits in the magazines who were pro-modern longboard, they were saying, this is the way of the future. This is a board that does it all. And I have to say, part of me was like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. You know, you can you can have it all with a modern longboard. But, Absolutely. But Nat Young, I remember, so this all the competitions at the time, a lot of the people who were winning them, apart from that young and Dale Dobson and a few people who were coming back, the newer longboarders were riding them like shortboards. And that's when there started to be a bit of judgmental uh, opinions. It's, it's kind of the early 90s, I think, is where you really see this fracture line. And I would even go as far to say, was it 92 World Longboard Championships in Biarritz? It, it, it kind of pits Joel Tudor against Joey Hawkins. And Joey Hawkins was like riding, uh, you know, was riding the, the high performance longboard. Like his nose on the longboard was somewhat pointed even and heavily rockered, super thinned out, potato chip. And Joel was riding more traditional style. And Joel had, had kind of grown up around like Nat Young and Donald Takayama and they were he was kind of trained and schooled in the more classical sense of longboarding and surfing and he showed an appreciation for that uh and he felt that if you're riding a longboard you should ride it like a longboard you know if you want to do maneuvers and all that stuff like just ride a shortboard it makes more sense he felt and Joey Hawkins and other people like Jeff Kramer were pushing the limits of what you could do on a on a on a longboard in terms of like maneuvers and I mean I remember the Stewart ads with Jeff Kramer busting huge airs at trestles on a longboard you know mm-hmm. it was crazy and you started to see this divergence there you also saw longboarding being added to the PSAA tour at that time in the US and what you were seeing there was all these kind of 80s pros who maybe fell out of fashion or just weren't cutting it on the ASP and maybe even were struggling a little bit on the PSAA went out and got on the longboard and started dominating the longboard tours. <laughs> you know, Ted Robinson particularly would be someone and he was riding it like a shortboard more. No, I know. And you're right. Like at the time, I remember 
see, so, so in the late '80s, yeah, or in the '80s, the longboard contest was still a bit traditional, a bit of a yeah. mix of traditional. In fact, in the Life's a Beach Classic was that '88 or '89 when Kelly Slater kind of made his. That's 1990. 1990. Oh, was it 1990? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that one, I was on the beach. I got pictures of it. But the final, Nat Young won, I think. I think Joel Tudor was only 14 years old. Yeah. Fourth. And I remember meeting Dale Dobson on the beach. And that was a bit traditional. But then, yes, when you were saying what you were just saying, the ex-pro shortboarders joined the longboard tour and doing really well. I remember thinking, ah, basically, yes, if you want to do well at longboard, you just got to surf it like a really good shortboard and then also get up to the nose. And... I remember even thinking to myself, maybe I should try to become a serious longboard competitor because I could do that stuff. You know, longboarding's easy. You know, longboarding's yeah. easy. It felt, and I remember reading Nat Young making the argument that he was he was very unhappy with the criteria, and he thought that it should be based on traditional style. But I remember thinking to myself, okay, I agree. I like to watch traditional longboarding but how do you judge it you know like mm-hmm. to me, in my mind it was all about difficulty and how do you judge style you know i couldn't understand it really back then how to judge style it, it was it's a lot more nuanced i would say traditional style of longboarding it, there's a lot more subtlety to it as opposed to doing big maneuvers that's easy to judge in some ways you know especially on a longboard watching someone hit the lip on a longboard you can't avoid seeing that you know like you you can't miss that that you could see you can kind of quantify in some way in your head how difficult that maneuver was mm. whereas riding the nose for an extremely long time on a on a wave that's probably really difficult to ride the nose on even, you know, when it's not perfectly set up, that is really subtle. And you have to really know how difficult that is and uh, to be able to judge that. And, um, but that one, at least you could, you could do, you know, tip time and stuff like that. Yeah. No, but I'm just talking, that's like one aspect of it. Like just body, drop knee, the the turn, the, the, the keeping your hands low, like all that is, it gets into the realm of looking to uh, judging dancing for inspiration, I guess. Absolutely. You know, um, one other thing we should mention is 93 longboard world championships held in Haleiwa, and they invited the CT pros to join Gary Elkerton, Ooh. Glenn Winton, Glenn Winton made it to the finals. You know, there's a picture of Gary Elkerton doing an iron cross. Like yes. it was Kelly Sunny Slater. Garcia. Kelly Slater entered it and he's trying to, yeah, he was in it and he said, I want to really try to ride a longboard like how I ride the shortboards. And there's like a picture of him doing like a floater on like a chipped out longboard with the graphite going down the middle, you know, the carbon strip going down the middle. Oh my God. I want to see that. It wasn't Steven Slater now. You're confused. No, no, it wasn't Steven Slater. (laughs) Another great longboarder though. Um, But there was uh, that moment also kind of it brought to this i thought it brought to a head the traditionalist versus the progressive this uh you know kind of battle of the the longboard tour it was a really interesting you know concept too uh and 
you know, and then it, it became like this kind of battle. And I remember even meeting Joel Tudor in person and hearing him just complain about so much about the 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 surfers like, you know, doing the these more progressive maneuvers on a longboard. And he became quite outspoken and quite vocal about it, you know. And I remember he said, like, uh, in competition, you have to write, write a thruster because that's the only way you get the money, he said. Exactly, you know, so- and... Yeah, go for it. Oh, no, no. I I was just going to say, so, so up to this point, it is really like where's longboard going? Because you had people like Joel and also the older people, you know, pushing for the traditional ways. But then you had the young, I mean, other names, you know, like Rusty Kirlana, Lanto Okano, and Bonga those Perkins. people. Bonga Perkins, Dwayne DeSoto, you know, uh, Hawaiians, a lot of Hawaiians yeah. actually were just doing crazy shit on longboard yeah. surfing big waves surfing chopu on longboard i think or surfing somewhere you know, pipe. Any... surfing backdoor bonga backdoor and regular pipe was yeah. fucking insane actually watching him charge oh and so stylish too like fucking beautiful <laughs> yeah yeah it brought out your uh inner, my little little pit inner, inner pigeon right there <laughs> So then, I don't know. I mean, tell me if we're not ready for this yet. You know, like, when did the revolution happen to what it is now, where it's become, it has gone, it it has been realized in Joel and Nat's uh, imagination. It's been realized. What's what do you think? It's been a slow progression, but I would say there's a couple couple things I want to want to mention. Longboard magazine starts in 1993 started by Guy Modal, uh, who is a great photographer and writer. And that helped spur on the, the culture and the conversation of longboarding and created a whole subgenre of the, of the surf industry. So mm-hmm. that's one thing we have to kind of mention is the subgenre of the surf industry because, you know, you had the whole industry geared towards youth. Surfer magazine and surfing magazine mostly showed shortboarding surfing Mm -hmm. was 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 pretty much nothing but youth surf culture uh so longboarding uh you know created this sub sub industry where you had a lot of people producing longboards and a lot of uh fins and clothing companies even being based around it and you saw like you know kind of classic brands come back and you know bing and and weber and all that sort of stuff so it created a whole sub industry, which allowed more people to participate in it. Hmm. Um, but can I say that with yeah. Longboard Magazine, though? Yeah. Within it, it still seemed to uh, it balanced show, both. or well, it promoted kind of the on one side the traditional stuff was still mostly the older people. Yeah. And and Joel, <laughs> and yeah. all the. Younger people were the people we just mentioned riding the progressive way. It, it, it still totally. didn't quite show this cool, stylish logging yet. Not totally, but I, I feel like it, it, it spurred on the, the industry and created this conversation around it. And, uh, and then you started to see more people want to get into surfing. And the easiest way to do it was to ride a longboard. And a lot of surf shops started to carry more longboards because they realized they can make money off of selling more surfing to to people. Um, but then I want to mention the introduction of Roxy. 
clothing. And Cassia Mador and surfers like like her, Daisy Shane, uh, you know, because Roxy had Lisa Anderson, but appealing to a lot of women riding longboards, and you had all this ad campaign, most of the women were on longboards. They weren't riding shortboards, actually. And that helped to um, bring in a whole gender set into surfing, you know, that, that helped to move that along. But I think we have to really talk about uh, for really the cool factor of surfing and the, the hip. I think we have to mention Jay Brothers Longer movie and Thomas Campbell's The Seedling. Well, there you go. I was thinking. <laughs> you, I know you were working. To, I know you were working towards it. Anyone listening to this right now who was around for all that must have been thinking if they don't mention Thomas Campbell, the seedling, especially <laughs> more than Jay Brother, you know, longer, more than Roxy. If they don't mention that, I'm going to throw my device out the window and I'm never going to listen to these guys again. Because that was so major like that movie just it was a manifesto it was um a a showcase it it, the whole look the feel who it introduced the what the narration was saying it just was like that film i i feel like and it was actually called the seed like i mean very yeah. presumptuous on yeah. thomas campbell's part <laughs> and i know he was very confident in what he was doing but and and you almost want to at the time you maybe you almost wanted to say oh where do you get off but he was right i mean come on that film and the all the people around it that was and you mentioned cassia Meder. I, she yeah. once pronounced it. She was met her. I remember reading it in an yeah. article. She said, you pronounce it like met her. Uh, <laughs> I like the way you said it better. Me adore. She, oh, she was in it and she must have been like 14 or 15, like this kid in the she film. She was young. Yeah. And, um, oh, Jesus. Um, who else? There's a couple other women in the, in the film as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Corey Schumacher. Schumacher. Corey right. Schumacher, I think, in there. Belinda Bags, maybe. Mm-hmm. Might have been. Uh, you know, there was, um, it was, it was definitely, it felt like watching that movie, it felt like this, um, movement for sure. And, you know, it felt like, uh, it was boys and girls, you know, it was a mm-hmm. great mix. It was inspiring and older people as well. And older people, Skip Fry is heavily, heavily, you know, uh, featured in it, you know, and, and yeah, it's, it's really a wonderful mix and it made like, here's the thing. Surfing has always had this countercultural vibe to it. And the predominant force of surfing at that time was shortboarding and you had the ASP and professional surfing and surfers are always looking to be counter it feels like, or to go against the grain and to what's more against the grain than the professional world tour, the ASB and uh, the professionalism of surfing logging, you know, and and you're right. And even when, even during the pro surfing's heyday from the late seventies to the early nineties, the most popular, the most charismatic surfers were counter, you know, rabbit curran you know like yeah they were the ones who even though everybody loved everyone else the most coolest you know like yeah you can almost picture on almost longboard inspired you know uh, 
they were the ones who everyone still loved the most. And and you also had this choice, especially if you were younger, right? And you wanted to be counter. Uh, you know, it's either Christian Fletcher and Nathan mm-hmm. Fletcher doing airs, which are the seedlings of awesome the seedlings of or awesome, awesome long words, but also the seedlings of Herbie Fletcher, who gave who who one could argue is a real predominant force in bringing back longboarding, which we got to give our props to. Herbie Fletcher was shouting it from the microphones, promoting longboarding and how fun it was. Oh, and, and, Joel, and the wave, Joel and, wave warrior Joel Tudor and him were were thick as thieves. You know? Yeah, and also we got to mention Wave Warriors the movie because it did feature you know Herbie Fletcher predominantly longboarding a lot of them those movies. So let's mention that, um, but. But uh, we got to give props there. But it it it, it was uh, I mean, if you were a young surfer, you had a choice of going the Christian Fletcher lost route, maybe where it was a little bit more bad boy and creating trouble and doing drugs or whatever, or you go the more cool longboard artsy creative route, which uh, Thomas Campbell, I think, presented to many of us uh, at that age. They presented mm-hmm. another avenue you could explore in surfing that was kind of cool, less aggressive, more for the person who just wants to enjoy surfing and doesn't want to compete and doesn't want to, uh, you know, do all this other stuff and maybe has an artistic sensibility to them. Uh, you know, I think, and this is for our listeners, this is a very Americanized, uh, you know, uh, version, I think here. Uh, longboarding in Australia, I think was really, still frowned upon at this time in the 90s mm. it was not really uh as emergent and i think you know you had some people riding longer equipment you know wayne dean and and such you know um you know who who rode the longboards like a shortboard though you know more so and it was less traditional style it had not really caught on in australia and they were called malls instead yeah, I think the longboarding and the yeah, yeah, and the whole retro move in Australia is a more recent thing, you know. And it's, in fact, Australia is probably commandeered in in a way. They've kind of commandeered it, you know, the whole Byron Bay movement of especially yeah. and um and and all the surfers who congregated at in in Bali, you know, the yeah, the Deus, Machina, Deus, Deus, Machina, Deus, Machina. Yes, mm-hmm. the, a bit of uh, Latin in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that whole thing, you know, like came about in, I suppose, in in the two thousands more. The temple in Bali, but yeah, you know, that's but that is, you know, and, and Andrew Kidman, who who was, you know, highlighting older surfers and and uh, mm-hmm. and you know Derek Hind, you know, highlighting Derek Hind on these older equipments or more alternative equipments. That movie did not take off in Australia, and and, and Andrew Kidman, who was editor of Waves, um, ended up, uh, you know, becoming a you know a, a baggage. You know, he would just stuff baggages at grocery stores after that movie for quite a few years because he right, was resented by the surf industry. Found fans in America. For yeah, it. and I guess exactly. I think Australia had two things going against it for the longboard. Uh, you know, one was that the waves were just a lot better. You didn't need to ride a longboard, <laughs> you know, like it's a longboard was tricky, you know? And yeah. The only reason maybe people would ride longboarders is, is, was because uh, it was easier to paddle, but actually, you know, you didn't need it for the actual wave riding. And the other thing is maybe that um, 
Australians were never had as much conflict with surfing as a sport as America did. Yeah, you know, in the, that's why the whole pro surfing movement in the seventies, you know, came from there. Is because they they never had this weird. Well, they didn't have as much of conflict with it as uh, even Nat Young, who got back into soul surfing big time in Byron Bay in the early seventies and the whole morning of the earth movement. He never actually really stopped competing. You know, yeah. the only reason he got a little bit out of it is because he, he messed up his back in a surfing accident. But whereas Americans were in the seventies were totally anti-contest, you know? Absolutely. So I think that, you know, so I wanted to mention the Australia aspect to it and, and it really, I feel like California, that California logging cool vibe, that California cool really was, uh, you know, predominant. And I think it was really uh, had a huge impact. And I think Joel uh, particularly was the most vocal about it and, you know, was the most recognizable. And we will be right back. And now back to our show. So I think Joel being the most vocal uh, about the traditional style of surfing, the, and he was the most visible, you know, he was, you know, the one that really brought the cool back into longboarding and made it cool for younger folks to look up to. A lot of kids started to look up to Joel and be like, oh, there's a path forward for me. I could become a professional longboarder maybe. And I don't even have to maybe even do contests. Um, you know, uh, and I think, you know, the, the, the idea of riding a longboard like a shortboard really was funny, right? Like it did not fit that vibe at all and wasn't highlighted in, in obviously, you know, the seedling. And it, there was a difference between logging and longboarding. And I, I think that distinction became made with the seedling and, and really the progressive style of, of longboarding really fell out of fashion, except the, the ASP and now known as the WSL continued the these longboard tours and you know you had various winners like Bo I mean you had uh you know uh Bo Young win Nat Young's son you had Joel win again a couple times uh you know but it was interspersed with other surfers who were more progressive also mm -hmm. and over the years I think one of the questions is how important was is the WSL or the ASP to uh, modern day longboarding, uh, you know, and this kind of, you know, kind of meets up perfectly with what's happening today. Uh, you know, with, with, for many of our listeners who may, uh, not be aware or for maybe years to come when they hear this episode, uh, you know, the WSL, uh, was reducing the world longboard tour, uh, down to one event. And over the last three, four years, they had really tried to tap into that cool longboarding vibe, try to tap into Joel Tudor's duct tape invitational vibe, basically. And they put Devin Howard as a commissioner and it gave some credibility and they changed how the, the judging was, was done. It became more emphasis on the traditional style as opposed to the progressive. And, um, 
you know, and it started to see, it was cool. And he had like three events instead of one, because traditionally over the last 20, 30 years, it's been just one event deciding a world champion as opposed to a tour. <clears throat> and uh, they created a proper tour. And, um, and it was looking like, God, like it was looking really good. And it was really appealing. And then uh, Joel wins the world title last year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know what happened from there, but, uh, you know, basically the WSL decided to reduce the tour to one event. Uh, that was the rumor and Joel started to rail against it and was really used as, uh, as an argument one that the WSL was using women particularly in, you know, uh, on long boards to promote the WSL and their Instagram posts were infinitely more popular uh, when it showed women on longboards and it did uh, women on shortboards. And then he was also making the argument that the, you know, the WSL should not, you know, uh, discontinue the tour and just not do one event. And then it became a um, shouting match on social media between the two, basically. Mm. <laughs> I know, like, it's, it's funny on one hand, you know, some of the things we were talking about is that, that, that influenced there was the rebirth of longboarding as being a cool soulful thing part of it was you know it, it seemed almost like all about the aesthetic and the joy and the experience of it but actually competition was always linked to it you know yeah like there were competitions in the 50s and 60s but then there were also when the resurgence of longboarding there was all the longboard club competitions and exactly. you know, joel tudor have you ever watched the Vans duct tape short film about about how the Vans duct tape and Invitational started and all that? Kind of. Uh, I I saw it a while ago. Refresh it and and help our listeners. Also. Well, it you know it goes into. I think it's pretty recently made. It's yeah. only about like ten fifteen minutes long. I think. Yeah. And um, it was really good. And and you know, Joel was saying like when he was a kid, competing in all the club contests, it was just so much fun. You know and got to meet all different longboarders and it was competitive, but also it was about having a good time anyway. So, yeah, I think, you know, like longboarders, even though really cool traditional longboarders always enjoy competition. And with the advanced duct tape, all like the heroes of the modern uh, <laughs> postmodern longboard world yeah. were always competing in them. So they obviously want to compete. And, yeah, and it, it it's like you like Joel said, you know, like longboarding is what's drawing in the masses, and it's something that you can relate to. You know, if you watch surfing at Chopu, it's hard to relate to, whereas if you watch a longboarding contest, you can relate to. It. You can go out right afterwards and emulate what they're doing. So yeah, it seems like it would be a great idea to have a, a world tour with more than three events. You know, yeah. like the whole proper circuit based on longboarding. Um, I don't know why it, what what the WSL's thinking exactly was, but I, I thought, you know, I I don't always agree with Joel, but I I really um, thought he made a great argument in the sense why not have it at all the CT events and then run it on the down days, you know, like they'd be happy to. They're not they're not always looking for the be the biggest best days. Like why not have it? I mean, they could have run it at Bell's a bunch of days, you know, and that would be great. Instead of having lay days, you have something else to watch that appeals to another group of people 
and it draws in, you know, the masses. Um, I, to me, I, I think that totally makes sense. Um, you know, and you could draw in other sponsors for that too, and they're going to get great exposure at these contests. It, See, it that's makes... that's where I disagree a little bit. Oh, I, th- oh, I think okay. I think by having the longboarding on the lay days, it um, devalues longboarding, oh, and it oh. says that yeah, this is what you do, and it's shitty. Whereas, I don't know. I picture like a really, if in a perfect world, the longboard tour would be held at longboarding spots you know where right. the waves are really good for longboarding in fact i was trying to show um you know someone the other day they were asking you know what's uh what what is good longboarding so i went on to look at to, onto youtube look for some longboarding contests and they were held in beach breaks and i was like watching i was like mm, this isn't really what i want to show you let's look up malibu let's look up um san Onofre. let's look up noosa you know like point breaks rolling point breaks or rolling peak wind and sea you know where yeah. you're going to be fading back and forth you're going to be dropping and you're going to be hanging you know i don't want to see someone racing a close out and doing uh, you know that's uh even though you could do it so why not have the longboard tour separate from the shortboard tour and mm. choose iconic longboard <clears throat> locations and wait for really good days so that it's actually saying, hey, it's the waves are good for longboarding, not the waves are bad for shoreboarding. So let's get the longboard out. You know? I, I, I also think it would be cool to recapture what some of those club events were in the 80s, particularly when like people would show up with these woodies and classic cars and have classic boards on display and, and music, you know, like they could really turn it into something cool. And I think like duct tape kind of does that in, in some way, but they... They put their own little spin on it. They have like the little shaping thing, which is kind of cool. But I think it could be, it could be a great way to uh, encourage uh, people to learn about history of surfing too, which would be great. And then they can bring up a uh, hardcore surf history along, which we can give mm-hmm. context to everything. Um, but you know, it's interesting. You also have like the Relic Surf Tour you had going for a little bit. Are you familiar with that? Wait, I didn't hear you cut out for a second. The, 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 the Relic Surf Tour. Have you heard of that? No. Relic. So Relic, R-E-L-I-K, was a modern and classic longboard world tour. And basically, they held a classic division and a modern division. Mm. So it, it brought the best of both worlds together. I thought the concept was really cool. I thought the marketing and branding was way off. It felt way too European to, to me, for me. I don't know. It felt not cool uh, in terms of how they marketed it, but I thought the concept was really cool because it brought all these people together. You also have the ISA World Championships, which I think is interesting because that judging is different than like the WSLs was for the last few years, and it definitely has a more progressive slant to it. Uh, and you don't see all the cool longboarders at that, and you see a more international field. Mm. Uh, which I think is fascinating because, you know, you've got great surfers from all over the world who don't subscribe to the California cool, uh, you know, classic style longboarding. They definitely ride their boards like more progressive, more modern. Uh, you know, there's this one guy from Peru, Piccolo Clemente, who I, I used to surf mm. with when I was down there. Uh, such a nice guy, uh, such a cool guy. And Holy shit, I remember surfing with him and just watching him just bust out 360s and shit 
on his log and he was fucking ripping. But then he had great style too, but it was very masculine, very muscular style. Um, well, maybe. I mean, why could it be possible to have a competition where the judges are skilled enough that they can judge the range of approaches to it? Because can you imagine watching a heat and let's say it's a man on man heat, you know, a two person heat and you have someone like Piccolo take off and start ripping it. And the commentators are like, now Piccolo takes a modern, you know, longboard, mm-hmm. aggressive longboarding approach. But here we got um, Alex Nurse, who's got a more, you know, traditional style. And the, when you're watching it, you'd, you'd get informed by it all. And you could really see it different. And you would wonder like, whoa, how are the judges going to be able to judge these two things? And it, it could actually do something that shortboarding can't do because shortboarding is kind of just one style whereas longboarding it's just the length and then you gotta be able to judge them both ways i i don't know i i'm i would love to talk to someone who's a judge or uh or maybe a commissioner of sorts maybe that might be in the cards to discuss with them how that's done and why can't Mm. they do that um one other thing is to mention longboarding was not included in the olympics do you notice that you know, I found that to be kind of interesting, you know, that it was just only shortboarding. That's all we talked about. And no one really brought up like, hey, why isn't longboarding in this? Well, I can I ask like, um, yeah, I suppose one is because longboarding hasn't got their shit together yet. So maybe that's well, it's on in the ISA. It does in the ISA, in the ISA which ISA, is a yes, governing but, body. But um, but if you're professionally the, the very best surfers to be in it that's gonna leave a lot out and um and also it hasn't agreed on a way to judge what good longboarding is we just had that discussion and also in in snowboarding mm-hmm. do they have more than just half pipe do they have um yeah they have street style they have like they, a, have, they have like they have like a slope style i mean and they I also have order said they have slope style and border cross. Still can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> it keeps cutting out. What style? Slope style and border cross. Ah, but do they have um oh, okay, so they do have border cross. Yeah. Yeah. But snowboarding is, you know, they've they've kind of got their act together. No, no. No, it's the skiing federation that took it over, actually. Mm-hmm. The skiing federation's what runs the snowboarding tour, and actually a lot of snowboarders uh, don't like the fact that it's run by the skiing federation. They feel like they don't understand snowboarding mm. and they don't like how a lot of it's judged and they feel like it's not as progressive as it could be. Um, so, you know, Terry Hawkinson was one, that was one of the reasons he rebelled against surfing, I mean, snowboarding being in the Olympics was because it was being run by a ski tour. Cause actually there is no snowboard world tour actually. There was the Mountain Dew tour for a little bit, but there's uh, there is no actual snowboard world tour proper, you know, where they crown a world champion. They have contests, so it actually I would say no, they don't have it together. And actually, longboard surfing probably has it more together than that. Skateboarding okay. too. Skateboarding too. You have the ramp, you have big ramp, and you have street style. And skateboarding doesn't have like a world tour per se you know you you have like these varying different tours and and events so that is also something to consider so has, I, I has snowboarding been in the olympics longer though snowboarding's been in snowboarding has been in for you know since the late 90s 
you know, so there you go. I mean, it's the yeah. first year, maybe. But skateboarding was, like, was the first year this year, uh, this past year. And they had more than one way to yeah. more than one event. They have more than one style. So I, I don't see why they couldn't do the longboard one. That would have been really cool, actually. That's a shame. Missed opportunity because I also think longboarding is more relatable to most people. Yeah. I, well, that's, yeah, I agree. Can I ask, uh, um, this yeah. is something I uh, just, I'm asking it online, on, on air, kind of showing yeah. my um, uh, ignorance here. So recently there was a big longboarding event that was open to men and women, and it was won by a woman. What's the event and was who it? won it? I don't know. Yes. I didn't oh, know about God. this. I didn't know about uh, this. How'd this slip yeah, through I, the radar? It was on, um, yeah, Beach Grid about a month ago or so. Um, oh, boy. Well, we'll have to look it up later. <laughs> Anyone listening out there, we are pleading ignorance. There was recently an event. I thought it was in Australia, um, and it had big names in the traditional logging world oh. in it, but uh, a woman won it, and... Uh, for the life of me, I, I thought you would know it, so I would ask it online, and you would tell me. No. Um, yeah, because it did bring back what you had brought up in our last podcast. You know, like can women and men compete against each oh. other? And you thought that maybe women could, and then afterwards, I believe this happened. Here it is on Beach Grit in historical first women beats field of men in prestigious professional surf competition, thereby shattering long-held gender-based assumptions. Uh, thank you, uh, Chaz Smith here, and it was in Australia. Um, uh, basically, yes, a Sierra Lurback from Maui beat all comers in the most prestigious old Mal division of the Noosa Festival of surfing to hoist the cup and change history. Um, all comers referring to a who's who of ridiculously talented males, included Jared Mel, Jack Norton, Byron Chadwick, and Harrison Roach. Mm. Uh, the, the aforementioned Roach took to Instagram immediately penning C Sierra uh, Lurback is the first woman in history to win the most prestigious division of the Noosa Festival surfing, the old mile. And she's my mate. Uh, praise was universal from luminaries such as Al Nose, J Joel Tudor, Devin Howard, and Wingnut. Uh, so there we go. And yeah, you know what? I think that's also another thing, especially if you're doing traditional uh, classic style. I think it could be, I definitely think there's, there's actually potentially an advantage to women even over men uh, because of the grace and the way they their bodies are shaped and work on a longboard is something about it that looks absolutely stunning and, and could work to their advantage. Yeah, so that's a that's a very um, yeah cool thing. I think. Well, I think it's it really um, does. I mean, God, the WSL is shitting the bed here. They're missing a great opportunity. We're the first you know, sporting uh, body, governing sporting body to have a mixed gender division, maybe even, you know, like that would mm -hmm. be huge. That'd be a coup in terms of media and press and would draw a lot of attention. Yeah, totally. um, so to me, like, why not? I think it'd yeah. be freaking awesome. And part of me is saying, well, do we need the WSL? But actually, I think it does give a legitimacy that a lot of surfers would probably like, you know. Not only that, you combine the women and men's prize money 
it ends up being more for them overall, right? Cause, That's right. You know, because then you just combine yeah. those two. <laughs> you don't have to s- split it both ways. So That's it makes it even point. better. Rather so, than having an 88 surf, you yeah. just have 44. Yeah. You know, so just saying, uh, Elo, get on it, man. You're blowing it. Um, another. Uh, You're going to make a run for the new commissioner? Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, one of the things I, I was thinking, all, I think you even brought up, or I was even thinking, is um, how does social media affect longboarding? And how does it affect influence of longboarding? Mm, oh, man. You know? On, <laughs> on, uh, yeah, on Instagram, there's so much longboarding. And a lot of it, I think, one, it looks cool, you know, and it's... It's also real pleasurable to watch, you know, like watching, is it Cuca Pintos? Yeah, um, Corey Colapinto. Like, oh, man, yeah, I we, love watching from, him. Yeah, with the drone on these, like, waves, which just, they're floating. Um, and and I think it is, you know, actually, um, Bo Young said this a long time ago. He said that longboarding just looks sexier than shortboarding. Mm-hmm. And it's true. If you see somebody standing tall, arched back, and in control and mastering, you know, it's like watching the tango versus breakdancing. Like breakdancing yeah. is break to, oh, modern dance is, is awesome. Um, but you don't get turned on by it's not uh, aesthetically the, the, in the way that, well, maybe you do. But watching, you know, like I was watching the, the Bells final and it was, it was, it was awesome, you know, and, and watching. Well, I don't want to say who won in case no one's watched the thing yet. But you know, it's nah. just awesome to watch. But when you watch longboarding, just from an aesthetic point of view, it's just like, yeah, it looks great, and it's it's tailor made for social media, I think. Mm-hmm. And you have like a lot of uh, longboarders who can be influencers, you know, and I think that really works their advantage. And it. Yeah, there's there's just so much there. I think with with modern day longboarding, it's there's an artistic aspect to it. You know, it feels like this, you know, again coming from the seedling and Thomas Campbell, you know, helping to shape that is the the art element and yeah. how a lot of these longboarders Al Nose is a perfect example of like a person who not only is a professional longboarder, but an incredible musician and an artist and does all sorts of stuff. And now a clothing designer with Leanne Curran, you know, making vans just made a first androgynous clothing line, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it adds a, cult, a more cultural element than, let's say, the WSL's, you know, world tour. Uh, right now, a shortboarding. There's not a whole cultural element to what they do, unless it's like more, more jock style, as opposed to, you know, color and flair, and and adding more to more vibrancy. I think to surf culture as a whole. So, it, it, long modern longboarding has embraced this artistic expression, basically. Yes. Uh, that yeah. that I would say is is really important for its growth too, and has been. For a while and its appeal yes and now and and two two more things yeah. i just wanted to do i mean one following on from what you just said and back to kind of what we talked about in the intro is how logging and joel tudor especially and thomas campbell have kind of re- it's it's opened the door to the writing anything you know yeah. without logging you know joel tudor was the one who said hey 
I log actually and Thomas Kelly said I log when it's under head high. Afterwards I get on a fish, we can get on a mid, we could get on whatever you want, you know, and it's it opened up all that. But I also wanna I just for fun I wanted to do a bit of high fidelity, you know, like yeah. questions, you know. Oh. Go on. Well, the um it's interesting when I try to think of icons from pre shortboard revolution right the 60s and 50s who have who are still revered today mm-hmm. um you know like who's who's still revered and who's forgotten do you think that shouldn't have been forgotten well you know? dora's is, is probably at the top of that list of, oh, yeah. of reverence you know i would say uh phil edwards of course also is still kind of revered in many regards mm-hmm. um i wonder uh, but uh, Lance Carson, he, you know, it's interesting. Oh, yes. He, I was watching the, the Legends of Malibu and everyone just raved about Carson and how he was the one everyone looked up to. He was the one, he was, he was the real life Matt Johnson, basically. Like John Milius yes. is talking about him and Lance Carson is the real life Matt Johnson from Big Wednesday. And it it's really like god but you don't hear as much about him lately it feels like and not many people talk about him um david new well pause there oh, i totally sorry. agree lance carson yeah. and, and in a way in my mind i always have lance carson as almost slightly comical you know like because a lot of times what I've read about Lance Carson are his kind of on land kind of antics you know you right. read about him um it was standing, and it only, I think I think he's actually railed against this a little bit. There's like, but there's you know story of him standing on the hood of a, a car around a parking lot with just a donut on, not <laughs> anything else. Um, there's yeah, he's that's yeah, the waxer like, story from Big Wednesday, also. Yeah, his prodigious <laughs> drinking, but then being able to paddle out and rip. Um, also, I think Lance Carson, you kind of only ever see pictures of him surfing Malibu and Rincon. Like, yeah. you don't really see him in Hawaii or you don't see him going right. Uh, whereas, you know, Mickey Dora also was kind of, but then you also, there's footage of him at Waimea and there's yeah. footage. And then Mickey Dora's life after yeah. being a great surfer was just so, uh, <laughs> so uh, um, uh, mythic and legendary that. That helped. Whereas Lance Carson maybe gets pigeonholed a bit too much. But you're right. He was outstanding as far as longboarding goes. You know, and his you... style would be who they try to copy now. Absolutely. Um, David, David Nueva, you mentioned. Yeah, you got him. I mean, God, God, like, yeah. I mean, the... he rises in stature as time goes on, even. He ages. Yeah. But unfortunately, the Surfers Journal did a, they phoned in a profile on him recently, I feel like. <sighs> It's oh, I, that's my criticism. Sorry, listeners, yeah. but I just felt like he he was more deserving of 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 a, of a better piece. Personally, it was very informative. Very informative. Very, if you don't know about David Newey and you read that article, you'll you'll know about him afterwards. Yeah, but but not deserving of his style already. You know, he was a stylish surfer and deserved a better stylized writing. Personally, and I love Phil Jarrett. He's a phenomenal writer. But, um, you know, uh, Nat Young, you have to put in there, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Midget Farley as well, I think. 
uh, you have to put in there at least. But is he? Is he? Uh, so Midget Farley is is still super famous as a historical figure, right? But when I think of the young crew, well, I say young crew now they're in the forties yeah. and thirties, but like. I feel like they don't. No, they, yeah. I don't think they would keep him, have him up there as like a god of style from that era. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Whereas what the about other people you mentioned are icons? What about um, would would you put Corky Carroll in there? No, no. So again, Corky Carroll, I think people really know about him, and I think he was very important historical. But I I I don't think any of these people would. Revere, like, look to him as like David New. Uh, what about um, Dewey Weber? Hmm, I'm not sure. I mean, he's definitely he's looms large. Yeah, um, and he's. Uh, it's weird. I always think of Dewey Weber as as very much a representative of like a, an avatar of the era. But but really, when you watch his actual surfing, he's actually to me like a, uh, a predecessor of the shortboard movement. You know, he mm -hmm. was whipping it around. He doesn't surf in the longboard style, really. You know, like. Mm. And I don't mm. know if if you ask Joel Tudor, let's say the the um the, the whatever you know, like the, the patron the, saint of well, well, the person who who can have the first and last word on yeah. anything. Uh, longboard. I don't think he would uh, say Dewey was longboard. Style, whereas Dewey actually was was pretty ahead of his time. I thought. Um, uh, what about Robert August and? Uh, Mike Hinson more Mike than Hinson. Yeah. Mike Hinson, yeah. Mike Hinson, Mike Hinson, definitely. Yes, and he had the style, everything, and the cool. He's someone who, even if people don't know it, they're emulating him today. And Skip Fry. Skip Fry, definitely. You know. Um, now, my favorite, though, yeah. who I feel doesn't really... Uh, this is someone who it's like, come on, guys, this should be like the person who's up there with maybe just below David Nueva and Mickey Dora. Um, but there's probably a good reason they don't get thought about this. Billy Hamilton. I was just, I was just thinking that too. Yeah. If you watch Matt's uh, video that he made, you know, the, the Jesus of cool. Yeah. That's like the perfect longboard style on every level. And mm -hmm. But maybe because of Laird, you know, he kind of maybe gets seen as Laird's dad a bit more than. Um... Yeah, I wonder also because maybe he he straddled also the line of shortboard too. He's like a real transition era surfer, mm. you know. Uh, he's Sunshine Sea, I think it is, where where he goes to like France and Portugal with Mark Martinson. It's the Greg McGivory Freeman film. Uh, you know, and their surfing was, they were on longer boards, but not as traditional. And they were definitely turning a lot more. And they were definitely more, Yeah, but you so know, was Nueva. They yeah, true. Nueva true. actually yeah. Was, was, probably should have won the 72 world title on a shortboard, you know? So, I mean, it's it's a weird thing, right? Like, I mean, Billy Hamilton is just, especially young Billy Hamilton's just godly, I think. Can you do his Good-looking guy. Oh, yeah, so just, um, well, I was just going to go out, just catch a few waves, you know? Billy Hamilton, that's how I talk. What are you going to have to drink afterwards? 
<laughs> I forgot what he says. A carrot smoothie. A little carrot smoothie. <laughs> Just gonna have a little carrot smoothie out there. It's gonna be good. <laughs> uh, one th- yeah. one thing I want to pose is longboarding being replaced by mid lengths. Say that again. Is longboarding being replaced by mid lengths? Ah, well, I can speak authoritatively. I don't think so because <laughs> so this so this past week I am um, surfed all week in Cornwall on my seven six mid, and on the first two days when it was um, the first day it was head high and actually a little bit overhead, mm-hmm. um, it was awesome because one I could catch the waves really quickly, but also the combination of being able to surf it like a shortboard but then really properly trim and and ride like a long board it was just like i was just like oh man this board does it all you know and it, <laughs> and it looks cooler than a fun board you know <laughs> yeah. and then even when it was like um shoulder high it was doing just great and you watch all the videos everyone was great but then when it was small when it was like waist high it was pushing along it wasn't it wasn't like riding a longboard and when you ride a you know in chest high and under a mid is not the same as a longboard i mean a longboard you will fly and you will hang 10 and you will drop knee and you on a chest high and under you need a longboard if you want that style surfing and that's what devin howard claims too it's like the the mid is meant for waves with power actually yes. a little bit of juice yeah. or you know a little bit more so you know, yeah, no, you need a longboard when it's small. So, um, do you know what time it is now, Jane? Yes, I do. It's time for <laughs> Stump, Stump My, my bro. bro. All right. So, what have you got for me today? Um, I've actually, during the course of this uh, podcast, came up with a f- three stumps. Oh, gosh. Now the the first one I cheated and looked up, but um, well no, it's not cheating, I suppose. But okay, I, I, this is a quick one. Okay. Uh, I found out who was the women surfer that we forgot to mention who was in the seedling, <laughs> and you can't look this up, Ty. Oh, um, we mentioned Corey Schumacher and Cassia Metter, but there was and and uh, Belinda Bags. But there was another uh, one. Isn't it Marg? Like a God. Mm. Trying to remember. Give me a second here. Don't type uh, anything down. I'm not typing. My hands okay, are up. My hands, hands are up. <laughs> My hands are in the air here. I'm not typing anything. I'm thinking it through. Um gosh. Oh, this is so bad. I forgot. Thank you. Please, please reveal. Brittany Quinn Leonard. That's it. Yes. Oh, she had great style. She was really good. Oh, right. Okay. I I only only got two. All right. So this legendary surfer from Malibu, from the Malibu days of the 60s, he earned the nickname The Enforcer for the way he steered younger surfers from drugs and trouble and stopped conflict in its tracks. Uh, uh, who is this legendary Malibu fixture? I say you cut out a little bit there, and I'm not just biding time to the <laughs> yeah. So, who was the enforcer? But what else yeah. did you describe about him? Um, 
uh, he was, uh, you know, he steered younger surfers from drugs, trouble, and stopped conflict in its tracks uh, after retiring uh, from the surf. From uh, uh, yeah, basically that's what it was. He was the enforcer, um, and he, he was a fireman taking drugs. Yeah, he like steered kids from getting in trouble. He was also. Um, you know, uh, he was also the guy who, like, kind of kept the vows at bay in Malibu and, you know, looked out for all the kids. He was also a legendary fireman, too. Legendary what? He was a fireman. And also, he also had a job. Very, He worked various jobs, but including a long stint as the gate guard at the ranch. Whoa. Yeah. And it's a famous surfer or not? A uh, well-known surfer. He was known as the Enforcer in the Malibu yeah, days. I knew the name, the Enforcer. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, give me a minute, but I'll see if I can find out in my head. I am not looking it up or anything. No. i got my hands on my face right here. So I've heard of the Enforcer, and, and I yeah. think the Enforcer was, was one of the characters in Big Wednesday. Big Wednesday, yeah. Yeah. Is he the one who said, you guys, split. Hey, you guys, split. Hey, you guys, split. Exactly. Oh, boy. Um, give me a second. Give me a second. Okay. He seemed like a really cool guy, actually. Nope. I have no idea. Who was it? Ray Kuntz. His oh, name is Ray Kuntz. Never would have come up. I've yeah. heard the name before, yeah. but never would have said that. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one, Tyler. Thank you. Finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. uh, watching the Legends of Malibu really helped. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember when that was reviewed on Surfer Magazine. Yeah. It's great. It's really fun. I learned a lot watching that. It was quite enjoyable to That's watch. That's really good. Yeah. Um, I've got two. So I'll do one, then you do okay. your second one, then I do yeah. my third. Again. So all right, now I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. Yeah. Um, so in the and I this I came up with while we were doing it. Oh uh, gosh! In the film Back to the Beach, right? Um, there was a stunt surfer for Frankie Avalon in the Big Waves, mm-hmm. and there was also a stunt surfer for I believe the shortboarder boyfriend of um, maybe oh, his uh, Frankie Avalon's yeah. daughter, and I. Think maybe he lived on the pier, but I'm not Lori, sure. Lori Laughlin's uh, boyfriend. Uh, yeah, Wait, she was Lori Lachlan. Lori Lachlan Lori was in Laughlin. it. She, yeah, she was the yeah. daughter. Yeah, like the one who's gone to jail right now. Yeah, for... yeah, yeah. She was the daughter. Oh. Yeah, little fun fact there. Um, oh gosh, um, I you know I just read this too, like not too long ago. I remember reading that. And I totally am forgetting right now. Um, <sighs> shit, you stumped me. I forgot. Who okay. is it? Now, I believe. And so the first one, the one who did the stunt surfing for, yeah. um, for Frankie Avalon, I'm doing this from memory from when Surfer mm. Magazine did an article about the movie coming out. Yeah. And they had a picture with a caption. I believe it was Hans Hiedemann. Oh, yeah, Hans. And he did have similar hair to Frank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did. And the second one, I'm I'm deducing this from a podcast I listened to recently. I believe it was Jamie Brizick. Oh, yeah. In, um, when uh, David Scales interviewed him on Surf Splendor recently, 
um jamie said now. that he he did the um stunt stunt uh stunt work for the film wow. and i remember that there was a regular photo short border with blonde hair in it who was i think wearing you know pink and black wetsuit like uh, he used to wear that's so board i board yeah that's i board believe it was jamie brizick uh, the board that he wrote had like brick a brick graphic on it it was yes. really cool and with little graffiti on it <clears> it was so cool and he was remember like he was hot coding he was like doing the hot code on board he was making in the film and and uh you know, he's pulling the you know the paper off it was so cool i love that that scene <laughs> um okay um <laughs> the funny stuff that one <laughs> i think this is going to be one you'll probably get um it's a longboard only event where each competitor before each heat had to kill an 82 ounce bucket of beer tyler were, this is i know oh, sorry, keep going this is my you, stump that i, I gave you in one of our I, I wanted to give it back to you <laughs> uh, ask it anyway but just so people well, listening. well well i just wanted to know who won the event it's the stone steps invitational who the won first the one event? the first the one the very yeah. first one yeah Oh, okay. Well, that's tricky. Um, uh, was it Mike Doyle? Donald Takayama. Ah, I was going to say Donald Takayama, the second one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> Stone Steps <laughs> Festival. All right. Now okay. you're the final. Okay. So now this one again, this is, you know, you can't prove this one, but yeah. who is generally regarded as the first surfer to hang 10? Oh, it's uh, Dale Velzi. Sorry, I didn't hear you. Dale Velzi? Yes, Dale Velzi. Yeah. Oh, I got one. Oh, you got All that right. one. I got good it. One. I wasn't sure if you'd get that one. So um, this was a really fun episode. I quite enjoyed this. Uh, you know, I thought it was really, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to dive into. And it's, it's funny, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like researching this, like, there's not a whole lot actually on it maybe i don't know like i have to go back into my longboard magazines you know and see uh but it feels like online like you're searching like longboard revolution you know revival and all this sort of stuff like there's lots of little interspersed things but not a whole lot of in-depth articles about it and it's to me like i think it's probably one of the most important um movements in surfing culturally and you know because it gave so many people opportunities to learn to surf too because the longboard coming back into vogue helped bring a lot of people and money back into surfing it also expanded its base it also you know made it acceptable for a lot of people to to learn to surf you know i think um if people really want a good succinct read about it matt on the EOS website in the history of surfing yeah. section, the chapter, A Dance with the Past. Did you read that one? Uh, yeah. The, yeah, that one was was really good at talking about the this second or this third coming of longboarding and Joel Tudor's uh, involvement in it. Um, not not the part, yeah, there's the, he, and, the and longer, he had another, yeah. Yeah, the other article, which was the return of the longboard, or the yeah. chapter, I should say. Yeah. And those two, yeah, kind of do it quite well. So. Yeah. Well, um, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this uh, deep dive. 
And uh, just uh, remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, leave a nice little review. It helps us out. And you can always uh, email us as well. Uh, then on top of that, um, you know, I should mention we got, uh, you know, we, we get emails from people. We, we respond to them. So you can always uh, go to my Swell Season uh, Surf Radio Dot com website and you can email us through that if you'd like uh, and then don't forget to DM us also or follow us on Instagram uh, at hardcore history, hardcore surf history uh, with the underscores in between each and um, yeah and don't forget to find us on uh, the Surf Splendor Network um, yeah Jane that was good you enjoy that? <laughs> well, we'll check you all. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll see you guys uh, soon. We'll try to have another episode up uh, shortly. Thank you for listening. You.